everyone. Welcome. This is Robin Sills from Trinity Health of New England, St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome to Medically Speaking. I hope you're all doing well. Johnny and I were a little thrown off last week because he thought he ha- I had a show and he made me nervous when he texted me. I said, no, Johnny, next week. So we are here this week and we will be back in two weeks. We are really excited tonight to um, host two physicians with us from Trinity Health of New England and our medical group um, and focus on the topic which is on everyone's mind during the month of October, focus on Breast Cancer Awareness Month. You know, when we look at breast cancer, you know, just to to throw a few facts out there to everyone. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women in the United States, um, except for skin cancers. Uh, It is about 30% or one in three of all new female cancers each year. Now this comes from the American Cancer Society website. You know, and they also state that there's about 287,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer that will be diagnosed in women. About 51,000 new cases of what we call ductal carcinoma in situ, or DCIS, which is the very earliest forms of breast cancer, will be diagnosed. And about 43,000 women plus will die from breast cancer. Um, you know, also discussed is that breast cancer mainly occurs in middle age and older women, but we know we are seeing it in younger younger women all the time. You see it on the news media. I just saw um, a story about a woman this morning. Um, I believe it was on the, one of the local TV stations talking about her breast cancer and how she was diagnosed in her 20s and um, is still living with breast cancer and its reoccurrences, but the key is she's still living and she's fighting that battle. So to talk more about breast cancer, breast cancer awareness, and to focus on some of the advances in breast cancer, but not only the advances, but also some of the latest techniques in plastic surgery to make women feel whole. I have with us tonight Dr. Nicole Sukan, who is a breast surgeon with Trinity Health of New England, and also a brand new physician with Trinity Health of New England, Dr. Wes Cohen, who is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon, who is our chief of plastic surgery now at St. Mary's Hospital. So welcome to both of you. Hi, Robin, and it's glad to be part of this. Oh, thank you. Hi, Dr. Cohen. Hi, thank you, Robin. Excited to be here. Really excited. So I think what I want to do for our audience tonight is I'm going to start um, with Dr. Sukan in just giving us a little bit of history about yourself just to re, um, you know, re-educate the audience about how long you've been with us here and what your journey was coming to um, Trinity Health of New England, St. Mary's Hospital. And then, Dr. Cohen, I'll do the same for you. So, Dr. Sukan, please start. Um. So I actually joined Trinity, well, St. Mary's Hospital 12 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Um, I did a multidisciplinary breast cancer fellowship at the Mayo Clinic. Wow. And I, you know, joined Trinity, well, St. Mary's, and it was a lovely community hospital. I've been happy here, and I'm so glad to serve the community. And I have to say, you are out and about in the world and in the greater Waterbury area, just educating women all the time. But you also take your education to other countries, right, Doc? Um, I do. I do do some work in the Caribbean, um, trying to spread our expertise there and teach them how to do things like ultrasound-guided biopsies and stereotactic biopsies. Because I know that you identified a need um, in that population of women um, being diagnosed at a later stage, right? Um. Uh, I found in the Caribbean they don't have access to screening mm. programs like we have in the U.S. Right. So um, I'm there to help educate them. Also, in women of color right. um, and also African-American women, um, they tend to get breast cancer at an earlier age, and it's more, um, you know, sort of like severe or it has a poor prognosis. So your work is incredible. We have been honored to have you for the last 12 years, and I can't believe I've known you for 12 years. And we are going to continue with caring for the patients in this community under your leadership here in the greater Waterbury area, so we appreciate that. And now you have an incredible clinical partner to help you take care of those patients, Dr. Wes Cohen. We've been waiting for him. You've been waiting for you, Doc. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been great to be here. Um, you know, I started at St. Mary's at Trinity a couple of months ago, 
And my path to getting to Trinity has been, um, I did my plastic surgery uh, residency in New Jersey at Rutgers. And then after that, I completed a fellowship, uh, which was pretty unique. It was uh, aesthetic and reconstructive breast surgery. So I spent, um, you know, basically half my time doing breast reconstruction, whether that was implant-based or using patients' own natural tissue. Uh, It was called autologous reconstruction. And then the other half of my uh, training and uh, subspecialty training was in cosmetic surgery. And for us as part of training, I know I've said this to you before, and we've had a lot of plastic surgeons, of course, that have been um, part of the the community taking care of our patients. But this is the first model for us to have a plastic surgeon that's working specifically with our breast surgeons um, and also growing, as you said, the cosmetic piece to offer some techniques to the community that haven't been in this local area. So we're really excited to see where this goes. And I always ask for your patience with us as we learn more from you so we can grow that. Absolutely. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been very pleasurable so far. So, Dr. Sukan, I'm going to flip back to you for a little bit because I want to start this out talking a little bit about breast cancer in regards to, l- let's, let's start with the risk factors. You know, let's re-educate everyone on that. So, can you give us a bit about risk factors for breast cancer? Absolutely. So, the risk factors, um, the first risk factor is age. Um, the older a woman gets, um, the higher the risk of cancer. Mm-hmm. The other risk factor is family history. If there are multiple family members with cancer, or there are family members with cancer at a very young age, um, you know, there may be some what we call genetic mutations. So in any woman who's diagnosed with breast cancer nowadays, we perform genetic testing. And we check for genes associated not only with breast cancer, but breast ovarian, stomach, gastric, pancreatic, and melanoma. The third risk factor is, uh, unfortunately, um, obesity. Mm -hmm. So the higher the body mass index and the higher the weight, um, the higher the risk of uh, breast cancer. We've also found that alcohol intake, more than four ounces of alcohol a day for a woman, increases her breast cancer by twofold. So we just have to be mindful of our intake. Right. It's just about, right, absolutely. Yeah. It's all about moderation, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I know there's been a lot of changes, I mean, in regards to early detection and what the protocols are for early detection. Of course, we're, we're going to focus on the screening. We're going to focus on what the tools are we use for screening. And I know those numbers have changed over the years in regards to when women should start their screening process. So what do you recommend as a breast surgeon is the starting point and what are the best tools to use? Right. So working in our community of Waterbury, I see a lot of women diagnosed with breast cancer in their early 40s. So I would recommend for our community that we start screening mammograms at age 40. And most insurances now will cover that. I think that most insurances are covering it. Right. And I think there's also an increase in insurance coverage for what we call a screening breast ultrasound. Right. So if a woman was found to have dense breast tissue, which means the tissue appears white on a mammogram, a breast ultrasound is recommended. You know, it's so important as you look at these screening methods, and I know, you know, mammography is the gold standard, correct? Correct, yeah. And mammography has changed, of course, as we know, over the years, and we've moved from when I was originally involved in our breast center when it started back in 1989. Don't giggle out there. Yes, back in 1989. We didn't have um, digital imaging. It was all what we call analog film or traditional film where we lost some of that clarity. Do you feel, Doc, back in the day things could have been missed utilizing the film? Absolutely. And we transitioned from analog imaging to digital. Right. And now we do the 3D tomosynthesis scan, which is widely used in all radiology centers here in Waterbury. And what is the 3D offer that the 2D did not? So with the 3D, we're able to do multiple slices of the breast. And things that could have been hidden within a dense tissue, we could see it more clearly on a 3D image. So, you know, I think when people hear slices, they're like, what? 
does that mean? So, so for the population that's listening, for the community, when we talk about slices, it's kind of like the way I describe it. It's like a little picture book. Remember those little flip books, and you're flipping through the pictures, and it's really, really quick. It's 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 like slices of pictures, right, Doc? Yes, exactly. And the radiologist from what I've been able to see, as they're looking at those images, they can actually manipulate um, the images to either make magnify, blow an area up, kind of diffuse an area that may look like it's something, and, and as you spread through the slices, it doesn't. Has that been helpful to you as a breast surgeon? It has, because it could tell us which depth the actual cancer is and kind of give us a better idea of the size of it. So... Because I have Dr. Cohen on, and I want to, um, I know we're talking about screening, but I know, Dr. Cohen, you, you, some of the patients that come to see you have implants, uh, maybe implants that they've had over time. When you talk to them about getting, and they still have breast tissue, if they maybe got the implants through, you know, making their breasts a different size, what do you recommend with them for screening? Screening for breast cancer? Right, the mammographies. So, you know, they can still undergo mammograms. Right. Um, and, you know, if there's difficulty with, you know, any imaging, right. um, then, you know, I kind of leave it to the radiologist. Right. And uh, you know, my breast surgeon colleagues like Dr. Sukan um, right. to, to make sure that they're getting screened appropriately. But if they're, you know, if a patient does have implants, Right. Um, it is important for them to know that they can still get mammograms and they should still be screened right. on a normal, normal schedule. Right. No, thank you for that, because I think it's so important to educate the community. You know, when they when women do get breast implants, it's sometimes, you know, you have you have to do the mammography a bit differently. Um, I remember back in the day working with the technologists and the radiologists, you know, there was they they really had to, you know, manipulate the implant in a way where they could actually see the breast tissue. I'm sure, Dr. Cohen, they ask you, will will there be an issue with my implant rupturing with a mammography? What do you tell them? Yeah, so I, I tell them that there's not an issue um, because mm-hmm. the um, new technology and even, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the, the older technology implants and, you know, specifically patients are worried about silicone implants and if the silicone will rupture and right. leak everywhere. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the force that it takes to break an implant shell um, is is far exceeded by anything we can imagine. There's, um, you know, plenty of videos on YouTube you can watch about, um, you know, pickup trucks driving over silicone breast Really? Implants, uh, and wow. Not, and then they're not rupturing. Yeah. That's really interesting because I know we used to have patients that came in and they were always worried about that. Dr. Sukan, do you see that with your patients that have implants? Um, yeah, they're always anxious about it. But as Dr. Quinn rightly said, you really have to put a lot of pressure to rupture that. Right. No, thank yeah. you. Thank you. So. Dr. Sukan, you know, we taught you mentioned breast ultrasound. So I know breast ultrasound is one of those tools that has just gotten more and more part of the package for uh, diagnosing breast cancer, and particularly with screenings. We used to use breast ultrasound back in the day for more diagnostic if a lump was felt or they saw something on a mammogram. But you mentioned the des- dense breast tissue, and I know there's been a lot of legislation out there to. Um, ensure that women who have dense breast tissue um, can get a screening breast ultrasound. What do you look for on a mammogram report that would lead you or the radiologist to recommend ultrasound, screening breast ultrasounds, a complement to the mammography? So when the radiologist gives his report, he puts a sort of a level of breast density. Right. And if we see heterogeneously dense or extremely dense, that means that cancer could be missed up to 45% of the time in that patient's mammogram. So those patients, we recommend a screening breast ultrasound. You know, I I never want this moment to ever pass as we talk about screening breast ultrasound and dense breast tissue, but to acknowledge the work 
of the late Nancy Capello. Um, no, and I know all of you, um, Dr. Cohen. You may not are not from this area, but Nancy Capello was um, a physician of education, and she her breast cancer was diagnosed. Doc, was it stage three? Nancy's? It was stage three when it was got, and she had a, a normal mammogram like two weeks before. She had a normal mammogram. Doctor, I'll never forget her. Her gynecologist on a routine exam felt a mass on her axilla, and she had a stage three breast cancer that was missed on the mammogram. And um, she and her husband um, Joe were instrumental in creating "Are You Dense?" Um, across the country, and uh, fought for legislation. So, just a true acknowledgement to their work um, and continued work, particularly in the uh, Connecticut area, to raise funds. Um, for education of women. So um, a really incredible pioneer. So we've been really lucky. How about breast MRI? So breast MRI is reserved for patients who have a high risk of breast cancer. Mm. So um, we calculate what we call the lifetime risk for breast cancer. And if it's over 20%, we recommend a screening MRI. If a patient has a genetic mutation, which means they have a genetic predisposition to get a breast cancer, we also recommend the MRI. And the MRI is also a useful tool to assess the integrity of implants as well. And MRIs, I mean, something they you really have to um, very really clear on your um, order and your request for the MRI for to make sure that the patient gets coverage because it's a tough thing to get covered. Um, we usually have to get what we call pre-authorization from mm. the insurance company to make sure um, that the woman the woman will get it. And I if you find um, something just on an MRI, what is the next steps for you as right. as the breast surgeon to treat that or take a you know take a, a sample of it? Right. So if we see it on the MRI, sometimes we perform what we call a second look ultrasound. Okay. Which is to use the ultrasound and kind of focus on that area and see if we see it on ultrasound. And if we do see it on ultrasound, we biopsy it under ultrasound guidance. If, unfortunately, we don't see it on the ultrasound, we have to do an MRI-guided biopsy. Very similar to a stereotactic breast biopsy, correct? It is. The patient is lying face down on a table, and they find a spot, and, you know, they have to repeat the MRI and basically numb up the spot and insert a biopsy needle in and suck out the abnormality. And, and we get the pathology based on that. And do you leave behind a marker for further surgery? Right. So we do use something called a hydro clip, which is okay. a special clip right. that swells. And you can actually see that clip on the ultrasound as well. Those clips are imperative to being able to ensure that you're getting the right area if the patient is diagnosed with a breast cancer. And, I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty proud to say that we've utilized this technology at St. Mary's since I'm going to go back in time, particularly with stereotactic breast, breast biopsy. I think it was 1992 when Matt Bushy brought it here. That is correct, and we do do a lot of biopsies, you know, on a weekly basis. Yes, and are you performing those by bi- you're the breast surgeons performing those biopsies? Yeah, so I obtained my stereotactic certification, so yep. I'm certified to do stereotactic biopsies. And we perform those in the hospital and radiology. That is correct. So let's talk about what happens with a diagnosis of breast cancer. When you get a patient and you know the biopsy comes back positive, what is that conversation with the patient and what types of surgeries are within that discussion with the patient and what are what are their options? Um, so once we see the patient, um, we basically go through what stage of cancer it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's stage, you know, stage three then we may need to do additional testing like CAT scans and bone scans. We find out what type of cancer it is. There's something called estrogen um, receptors. If it's an estrogen-sensitive tumor, they would need um, medication with tamoxifen or anastrozole. Now at St. Mary's, we do something called genomic testing, which means on the biopsy specimen, we can actually find out you know, how aggressive the cancer is and if they would need chemotherapy or not, just based on the biopsy results. So that's been, you know, a big advance in breast cancer care. And we offer the patients either breast conservation or we offer the patient mastectomies. When you get the diagnosis of the patient, 
And you, you said earlier in the, as we introduced Dr. Cohen, we've been waiting for you. When does the consultation begin with the plastic surgeon? And when do, how do they get involved? So I think the plastic surgeon should be involved, you know, right at the onset. Because some of these patients, for example, if you have a patient with large breasts, right. I could perform a lumpectomy and at the same time Dr. Cohen could do what we call oncoplastic reconstruction where he could do a breast reduction. Right. Or if the patient is taking up a mastectomy, you know, it'll be helpful to get the information from him to see if they are accounted for implants or tissue expand with tissue expanders. Right. Or with needotologous tissue. So I think, you know, we should have him involved right at the start. And, you know, I, I think that the information the patient is getting right away is overwhelming. But I think the biggest scare for them is losing that breast and, uh, and, and, and understanding what their options are. So, Dr. Cohen, in all of your training, what is the best case scenario for you and how do you like to get involved with the patient? I think that, um, you know, the, the way that, that I think the patients process the information the best mm. is it's obviously a shock to the system. And, you know, there's plenty of studies saying that patients really, uh, you know, don't understand or not that they don't understand, but, but they're, they're not as receptive, um, you know, to a full conversation um, immediately after receiving such devastating news as you can imagine. So... Typically what happens is the, the breast surgeon, um, you know, will have a discussion with the patient about their treatment plan um, and then have some time to process, mm-hmm. ask some, you know, additional questions, um, figure out where their, their path from a cancer treatment is, and then, um, you know, my involvement comes. And, you know, this is really one of the reasons why, you know, I love the field of of plastic and reconstructive surgery and why, you know, my focus in my practice is on breast reconstruction is because, um, you know, I, I get to kind of have that positive kind of hope conversation with the patient that there is, there is life and there's a good life at the, at the end of this journey. Um, and we can do some amazing things with breast reconstruction. And like Dr. Sukan alluded to, um, you know, my involvement can be kind of as simple as just telling people what their options are and they can decide to proceed with breast reconstruction or decide not to. It's a personal choice. Um, And then I can be involved with if they want to have a flat reconstruction um, and I can try to make it a little bit more aesthetic. Right. Or I can be involved in something as complex as moving tissue from another part of their body and making a breast out of it. But it, the important thing from my standpoint is to lay out the options, the, the positives and benefit and negatives from uh, those different options right. and how I can be a part of their reconstructive journey. And Dr. Sukan, you know, you said you were so happy that Dr. Cohen's here because I think he offers a level of service to the patient that is a little bit more outside the box than we've been able to do in the past. I think more and more um, patients want what we call oncoplastic reconstruction because yeah. they're going through a devastating part of their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, having, um, you know, sort of like the, the breast be deformed, you know, affects a woman psychologically. Absolutely. So, so if we're able to take the cancer out and Dr. Cohen is able to come in and mold the breast back into a beautiful shape, um, that is, you know, so comforting to the patient. Dr. Cohen, can you explain that procedure a bit? Sure. So, you know, the, the broad topic is is oncoplastic reconstruction. And what Dr. Sukan's alluding to is, you know, when, when the breast surgeon is treating a breast cancer, you know, some patients are candidates for having only part of their breast removed versus having their complete breast removed, which is a mastectomy. Right. So if they're having part of their breast removed, obviously depending on the size of um, the area that needs to be removed relative to the size of the patient's breast, it can cause a large deformity for um, that breast, especially compared to the other side. So there's um, you know some maneuvers that I can do, whether that's moving some 
tissue around that, um, you know, is adjacent to that area that was removed, maybe moving other parts of the breast that were around and basically filling that hole by transferring tissue and rotating tissue into place um, to make it make that breast very natural appearing. With that being said, there's still a volume deficiency on that one side. Right. And so frequently the procedure involves working on the other breast to match the size and the shape of the treated breast. Right. And it's so important for patients because, you know, if one breast is significantly uh, different size than the other breast, it makes it extremely difficult for patients to find clothes that fit, that look good, to fit into a bra without, you know, having to add some additional, you know, kind of stuffing or prosthesis. Um, and so it, it's a it's a quality of life um, and confidence issue that I'm trying to solve. And this these proce- this procedure does it happen within one surgery or do, does it take a, a few times? So frequently, I will do it at the same time and. So basically, Dr. Sukan or, you know, myself and the breast surgeon would work together, and it's all done at the same day. There are instances where, you know, just based on the treatment or further discussions that, you know, I may need to go back in and touch things up a little bit, right. um, add some more volume, um, either through an implant or through some other techniques. Um, but again, it's it's something that is very individualized, very uh, personal for each patient, and uh, it's important for me to make sure that my line of communication is open with my patients so we are on the exact same page uh, in what their treatment goals are. I mean, I think it's really neat to be able to utilize your own body tissue to create your breast, right? Um, when you do do that, is it dependent also on the patient's journey in that cancer with cancer treatments? Somewhat. So, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, recreating a breast after Mm -hmm. a mastectomy, one of the techniques that I offer is what's called a free tissue transfer or autologous tissue transfer, which is, um, you know, just a fancy word for, you know, oneself. And so frequently what I will do for for that um, is what's called a deep flap reconstruction, D-I-E-P. It's just a fancy name for the artery um, and the blood vessels that kind of I take the tissue from. And so what I do in that kind of reconstruction is it's, uh, it's the same procedure as if I was uh, performing a tummy tuck. And instead of throwing that tissue kind of away, that excess tissue that's below the belly button Mm. um, that a lot of women want to get rid of, instead of throwing that tissue away, what I do is I um, dissect the artery in the vein down to its uh, kind of source vessel where the blood vessels are coming from. And then I take it off the body and I transfer it to blood vessels in the chest and I sew those two blood vessels together with the um, assistance of a surgical microscope, so high-powered magnification. And so immediately I see that the blood is flowing into that skin and fat um, and the breast is created this way. And this is, this is a, you know, a newer technique um, that is a lot less morbid than in the past where right. Patients would have to sacrifice, um, you know, a lot of the rectus muscles, so your yes. six-pack muscles. Yeah. This technique avoids any of the sacrificing of that muscle, so the risk of any bulges, hernias, um, or weakness is is essentially zero. And kind of the added bonus is, you know, the patients are getting a flat tummy afterwards. Right. Because I do, I do uh, employ the same techniques that I use when I'm doing a tummy tuck. That, that is amazing. I remember back in the day when, we, when the flaps were done, they were done much differently than the way you're describing. Right, Dr. Sukan? It was. The patients would have hernias, and it was not beautifully... Pleasing, right? But um, I think with um, Dr. Quinn's technique of the deep flaps, I've seen some of those patients who've had the deep flaps, 
and cosmetically, it's it's beautiful. You know, you have wow. to really go close up to realize they had their breast taken off. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I honestly... Um, both of you, I think this is such important information. You know, when women are faced with this diagnosis, I think the treatment oh, that always came to mind were like, all right, I'm just going to get both my breasts off and I'm going to put implants in, right? Right. And that's what most women still do, do that. Right. But, they st- but so we have options now. We have options now. So, Dr. Cohen, let's talk a little bit about breast implants. What is your conversation with women um, that have been getting, given a diagnosis of breast cancer and they want to go down the road of, of breast implants. Because Dr. Sukan, most times um, if a woman has breast cancer on one side, I think you're sometimes they're having the conversation with you about doing bilateral mastectomy based on family history and many other factors, right? Right. Um, but however, we cautioned mm. against contralateral mastectomies because it's been shown that often a patient with contralateral mastectomy does not improve their survival wow. unless they have a genetic mutation. Okay. Now that's important information. Thank you. So, Dr. Cohen, what is your, you know, let's talk a bit about breast implants and what and what you do with breast implants and what is your conversation with patients post-breast cancer on implants? So... You know, I, I offer my patients, um, you know, kind of all the options if, if they're candidates. Not every patient is, can, is a candidate for mm-hmm. using their own tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do talk about implants with, with all new breast reconstruction uh, candidates and, I'm sorry, breast implants. And um, the conversation essentially goes that um, typically it is a two-stage reconstruction so initially i place a tissue expander at the time of the mastectomy so if you think of the breast like um like a pillow the breast surgeon removes the pillow and i'm left with the pillowcase and Mm. so i have to rebuild up the breast from that standpoint and so the first stage is to put a tissue expander in which is basically a uh it's a silicone bag that then gets filled up with saline and it recreates the breast over time. And the reason that um, it's typically employed is after the mastectomy, um, some of the blood vessels are obviously damaged and some of the skin is a little bit damaged just from, um, you know, the fact that the breast is getting removed. And so putting a, a temporary placeholder in place uh, that is not putting a lot of pressure on the skin um, is a safe option to start the reconstructive process, especially if the patient um, possibly will need some radiation down the road or some other treatments. Hmm. And so after the, um, at the time of the mastectomy, I place the tissue expander. It's minimally inflated at the time of that surgery. And the patient sees me in the office and we get that uh, tissue expander fully inflated to the volume that uh, their final breast will be usually, um, you know, within a couple weeks after surgery. After the patient is completely healed, then we start talking about um, putting in a permanent implant, um, permanent in quotations, Mm -hmm. because uh, there's really no such thing as a permanent implant anymore um, or ever. And so the options for breast implants are either saline or silicone, so filled with saline or filled with silicone. Um, the preference from a cosmetic standpoint as well as a feel, um, natural feeling standpoint is silicone. Um, And the concerns about silicone implants are not as kind of wide as they may have been in the past in terms of silicone leaking all, you know, over the body. How, because now they're called kind of gummy bear implants. So what that means is if I was to take a silicone implant uh, cut it in half and hold it upside down, it would not leak. Huh. It is essentially like if you cut a gummy bear right. in half. <laughs> That's a good analogy. And, <laughs> and so um, the conversation that needs to be had whenever we're discussing implant reconstruction are um, basically four disease entities. So the first is breast implant illness, uh, which is a poorly described constellation of symptoms. There's been over 100 symptoms described in the literature, um, ranging from body aches to fatigue to brain fog 
and there is some controversy um, whether these symptoms are caused by breast implants or some other reason. Um, and so uh, there's always a chance that breast implants could kind of lead to these symptoms that we don't know if it's from the breast implants or not. Um, and so patients need to be aware of that. That's number one. Number two is capsular contracture. Hmm. So whenever a foreign body is placed within the body, um, naturally your defense system is trying to isolate it from the rest of the body because it doesn't recognize it as its own. Mm -hmm. So it forms a capsule, which is essentially just a thin layer of scar tissue around the breast implant. And for some patients, again, not very well described which patients are going to be affected or why. Uh, and the capsule can get thickened and it can start to compress the implant. And what this does is you see the first stage is you end up seeing uh, kind of a deformed breast because instead of being spherical, the implant starts to get pushed into weird shapes, maybe a rectangle, wow. which is obviously not what we want a breast to look like. And, you know, along a further stage of capsular contracture, the deformed breast can also cause a patient pain. Um, so that can happen with um, any time frame after having a, a breast implant in. And then the two um, other entities that, um, you know, have gotten a lot of press in recent years. The first one is uh, breast implant associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma. So B-I-A-A-L-C-L. And what that is, is that is a, a lymphoma that's localized to the breast capsule. Um, the implant capsule that we spoke about. And uh, that is associated with textured implants. So a lot of the textured implants that this was associated with have been removed from the market. There are still some textured implants on the market. I personally do not use them um, at all. I don't have a need to, and I don't think it's worth the potential risk. Right, right. Um, and this is and this is exceedingly rare. Still, there's about thirty thousand patients in the world ever diagnosed with this. You know, and if you think about worldwide implants, um, you know, over decades, and that is an infinitesimal um, number. Um, and then finally, the new um, kind of scare about implants, which uh, was just kind of released about a month ago, is breast implant-associated squamous cell carcinoma. Wow. Again, this is a squamous cell carcinoma that is localized or affiliated with the uh, capsule of the implant. And there have only been 20 cases reported worldwide. This is kind of a new entity that they have found. Um, and this one, however, is has been shown to be associated with smooth or textured implants. Um, but again, 20, 20 worldwide cases right now is, is infinitesimal. I mean, that, that could be one surgeon's kind of weekly, right. weekly <laughs> you right. know, kind of amount of implants they put in. Right. So... But something, again, that patients need to be aware of. They need to be on the lookout after yeah. they have implants in place that yeah. if one implant or one breast suddenly swells, mm -hmm. um, usually this happens at a, you know starting at five years to the 10-year range. If one breast suddenly swells, then they, they need to you know be in contact with either their breast surgeon or their plastic surgeon um, to, to investigate if this is a serious problem that's going on. So do you have patients that come back to you um, and, and, you know, you've just come to our market and you're um, in, newer in your field. So I'm sure you're seeing patients that maybe 10 years ago did have a breast implant, did have breast implants and now need either a revision or a consultation on what to do. Um, how does that conversation go and, and what do you usually advise with the patients? Yeah, so it really depends on, you know, if they're a cosmetic um, you know, mm. kind of breast augmentation patient or if they're a breast reconstruction patient. Right. Um, but I do have patients coming to me that had breast cancer, had breast implants um, in place, and they don't like their reconstruction. Um, either they're not happy with the results um, for various reasons, um, or they just want their implants out, but they want to know what their options are for breast, mm. uh, you know, to still have a, a breast afterwards. And so, 
there are different options that I can offer the patient. Um, one is you know, using their own tissue, like a deep flap, like we spoke about. Um, and the other one that is, you know, it's a little bit more popular, uh, starting to get some popularity in Europe. But, um, you know, it is is slowly gaining a little bit of traction in the United States, which is basically total breast fat grafting. And so the way that that works is um, you take the implant out or you slowly downsize the implant over multiple operations while performing fat grafting. And what fat grafting is, is it is liposuction. which then is performed in the operating room. The fat is washed thoroughly and then re-injected uh, into the breast. And, you know, this is obviously your own tissue. It's natural um, afterwards, but patients need to be very, uh, need to be aware that, um, you know, number one, some of the fat will, will kind of go away within the first three or four months. So mm-hmm. about... 25 to 50% of the fat that I inject on the day of that operation will not be there four months down the road, but whatever's there in four months will stay. Uh Um, That's number one. Number two, and, you know, more kind of importantly and more um, kind of on a patient's mind should be that after the fat grafting, there may be some some kind of collections or masses or cysts that can develop from that fat um, either clumping or forming kind of various little entities in the breast that can be concerning because if it's a breast cancer patient, they feel a mass, obviously the first concern is breast cancer again. Um, Hmm. So they need to be aware that if they feel anything, um, it could be from the fat grafting, but they should still seek further imaging um, and then it can sometimes end up with a breast biopsy and they will be going down that kind of anxiety-laden road um, and they need to be aware that 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 could happen. So Dr. Sukan, I would think that that could show up as a density on a mammogram or an ultrasound, right? And you can't define what that is. Um, Right. So typically, um, if we do feel a lump, probably even on a mastectomy flap, we could do an ultrasound in the office. Right. Um, you know, sometimes we could up to observe, or as Dr. Cohen did correctly say, if we were concerned, we would definitely end a biopsy just to be, you know, on the safe side. Right. Because it's something you feel. So, you know, the good news is you could probably do a needle biopsy with the ultrasound and not put the patient through a surgery getting your answer. Absolutely. Most of the biopsies we do nowadays are ultrasound guided in the office. Which is incredible, which is why you have to have ultrasound units in your in your uh, breast surgeon's offices sometimes too, right, Doc? We actually have three. We're pretty fortunate that, um, you know, Trinity Health provided us with the latest, um, you know, ultrasound machines. Yeah, I remember fighting for one of those for you. Yes, it's important. I mean, I am very um, aware of the needs of what we need to do to treat our breast cancer patients. You know, having run the breast center a long time ago, um, the the needs have changed so much. Um, But it's so important to keep up with the latest technology. And now, um, having dedicated breast surgeons, but also a dedicated plastic surgeon um, to help you. How has that changed everything for you, Dr. Sukan? It has given us the um, access to have our patients get mm. reconstructed in a timely fashion. Right. Um, you know, we previous to Dr. Quinn coming, we had to rely on plastic surgeons coming out of the community. Right. And they always, always didn't have the available time right. you know, to have our patients' surgeries on a, in a timely manner. Yeah, we're so it's very been amazing having him here. Right. It's definitely the access is absolutely incredible, but also the latest in technology, Dr. Cohen, that you've brought us, the latest in techniques, I should say, that you've brought, I think is is a huge market awareness. There's a question I forgot to ask, Dr. Cohen, that I want to make sure. So if a woman has to undergo radiation therapy after um, a breast cancer diagnosis. What is, where does that come into play with what you will do to help that woman either with an, an, some type of augmentation or, or uh, reconstruction? So the, the, what radiation does is it, it damages um, the skin. Obviously, it will 
you know, damage. And the point of it is to damage the cancer um, and to get rid of the cancer. But because it has to go through the patient's skin to get to that, um, you know, area of concern, it, it also affects the skin. So frequently the skin is not that healthy after radiation. And so um, at that point, I have a couple of options. So, um, you know, kind of the, the easiest or simplest option, which um, isn't always um, the best option is, again, just doing a little bit of fat grafting, um, which actually has been shown to have a rejuvenating effect on the skin. Um, it helps soften the skin and make it healthier, um, which is why people are using fat grafting, um, you know, for cosmetic face surgery as well, because it does have a positive effect on uh, the outer layers of the skin. Um, but more more frequently, what, what is needed is to bring in some healthy tissue from somewhere else. Um, and again, that would either be in terms of a, uh, you know, a deep flap um, or tissue from, from another part of the body. Dr. Sukan, when you are um, having these conversations with your patients after a diagnosis and you you know bring them and you sit down and, and you're going over everything with them, do a lot of the women that come to you, I know we are a very educated population in the greater Wadbury area. A lot of women do a lot of reading before they come to see you, particularly with a diagnosis of breast cancer. When you're sitting there talking to them, do they usually come with a plan in mind for what they want to do for reconstruction? You know, most of them sometimes are overwhelmed. Right. And after they've met with a plastic surgeon, um, I think it they have a more um, more information and they're right. able to make a, a better decision. So it's really helpful for them to meet up with a plastic surgeon. Um, and then sometimes some patients, you know, for example, who had um, large breasts and, you know, get offered the breast, you know, reduction at the same time as a lumpectomy didn't, you know, go for that option because, you know, the plastic surgeon's given them that option. So it's really helped for them to meet with a plastic surgeon. And I know, Dr. Cohen, one of the things that we're striving for as we as we look to expand your practice and, and really bring it to the level of um, expertise and professionalism that I know we want it to be with you, you are probably going to be able to provide patients with those before and afters and maybe some videos of what it looks like to help women make a decision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and there's, you know, I, when patients come and visit me, part of the, the consult that I give them is before and after pictures um, and some nice diagrams of how the reconstructive process works and kind of why I do things the way um, that I do them. And, and, you know, one of the other advances that I use for implant reconstruction is typically patients um, in the past have been getting their implant pa- placed under their pec muscle, so the muscle that you use in your chest to do a push-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and this could be very uncomfortable for patients. It could also um, it, it could also kind of compress the reconstruction or flatten um, the reconstruction, so not, not as kind of aesthetic of a, of a outcome mm-hmm. um, versus what I do is um, the vast majority of the times is I'm able to put the breast implant uh, in front of the pec muscle. And what this does is it uh, obviates the, the dissection of that pec muscle. It decreases the patient's pain post uh, surgery, and it also expands the breast to a, to a natural shape and a natural form. And then the, the last thing that, that, it, that it accomplishes is patients after having the implant placed under their pec, they can get what's called animation deformity. And what that is is when they're moving their, their arm in certain uh, maneuvers, their pec muscle is, is contracting, and it makes the whole implant reconstruction contract. So it almost looks like they're, they're bouncing their implants on their chest. And this can be very concerning from patients from a social standpoint. And so even patients that have old submuscular, sub-pec uh, breast reconstruction um, may come and, you know, would be candidates for moving that implant to in front of the muscle um, to, to make them more comfortable. Wow. So really incredible information. Believe it or not, we only have five minutes left. So what I wanted to try to do, um, Dr. Sukan, I'm going to bring it back to you for just a minute. Um, just some leaving words 
for our um, patients out here during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, some words of wisdom. So during the pandemic, studies have found up to 35 to 40 percent of women either were late or missed mm-hmm. having their screening mammograms. And as a result of that, 7% of women got diagnosed with a cancer at a later stage. Mm. So it's so important if you missed your mammogram or you're late in your mammogram, please get a screening mammogram. And make sure that you look for that report. Sign if you get if you hopefully get it within Trinity Health of New England, you sign into my chart. And if you do that, you'll be able to see your results and have that conversation with your doctor. So don't miss your report. Don't think if you don't hear anything, right, Doc, that everything's okay. I'm correct. You know, um, Trinity has made it really easy to just look it up on your phone. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dr. Nicole Sukan is at East at our East Main Street location, 3801 East Main. Um, she is at 203-709-4001. Doc, are you still in Prospect or mainly out in East End? I'm just solely on East End. So that's directly across from um, or down just down a little bit from um, Costco um, underneath the big billboards. So uh, 3801 East Main Street in Waterbury, 203-709-4001. Dr. Sukan, thank you again for your leadership and all you do for our patients. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Dr. Cohen, words of wisdom from the plastic surgeon. Patients, um, you know, should be aware that there's a federal law that was put in place in 1998 that all patients be offered breast reconstruction mm-hmm. with a diagnosis of, um, you know, breast cancer having undergone mastectomy. Um, so there are options for patients and it, um, you know, shouldn't be uh, a financial strain to have those options. Um, And then furthermore, unfortunately, in this country, we do see that a lot of patients don't have access to a plastic surgeon. Um, And the kind of further away you are from a plastic surgeon, the the less likely you are to get uh, breast reconstruction. So, um, you know, for patients that um, either have undergone cancer treatment, um, you know, already and don't have reconstruction currently, um, or aren't happy with the reconstruction or, you know, are newly kind of going through the process, just know that there are options um, and there's usually multiple options to, to get the result and the, the final, uh, you know, end point that, that you're looking for. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, um, Dr. Wes Cohen, he is in Southbury. Um, he's going to be getting a new office pretty soon, but right now he's at 33 Bullet Hill Road. Um, the number is 203-709-8729. Um, on our website, trinityhealthofne.org, we are working on a great web page for him. So if you put in cosmetic surgery and click on it, it will bring you to a beautiful page um, that we've started to create with him. Um, looking at all the different services he offers. And Dr. Cohen, what I would like to say is I'd like to, number one, welcome you. I'm really excited to be working with you um, at Trinity. And I'd love to have you back again because there's so much more you're going to be offering our patients, including body contouring, the cosmetics portion of your business, which is going to offer so many services to women. And really excited to learn more about those and share those. So if it's okay, I want to definitely invite you back. Absolutely. Whenever you want, Robin, and you know it's it's such a uh, a privilege to be able to serve the the community in and around Waterbury. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jack. Have a great night. Take care. So again, I want to thank everyone for joining me tonight. I think that was incredible information from two. physicians that are part of Trinity Health of New England, a longtime serving breast cancer surgeon, Dr. Nicole Sukan, who has tirelessly worked um, with this community, serving um, patients and also participating in so many local events supporting breast cancer awareness. And now a new addition to that team, Dr. Wes Cohen, um, an incredible plastic surgeon that we have been able to I'm not going to say, I'm going to say enticed to work with us, but really was really excited to come work with our breast surgeons and also serve the greater Waterbury community with all the services. So thank you so much for listening tonight. And um, please visit our website, trinityhealthofne.org. Robin Sills, see you in two weeks. Have a great night. 